Hey, podcasters, welcome back to Your Best Life, powered by Mercy One. We are so excited to have you back with us today. And I'm really excited, Miriam, because today we have two experts on moods and uh, what happens during not only with the dreaded time change, but with also holidays and how that affects our moods and you know, people becoming more depressed because of certain aspects. So we're excited to have them on today. We have Dan Ekstrom, a psychologist specialist, and Chris Latta. He's the director of behavioral health and ER services for Mercy One. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So let's dive right in. My question is with the dreaded, and I said this at the beginning, uh, time change that just happened. I want to know your thoughts on how does that affect people's moods? Well, in my opinion, it's, it can be very individualized. Uh, for some individuals, it has a significant impact on them. Uh, what we think is that the amount of daylight that we're exposed to that influences our neurochemistry and our brain. Uh, some people will tend to become more listless. Uh, they may have some difficulty sleeping. Oftentimes, moods vary. We also believe that there's this phenomenon called seasonal affective disorder, which is related to the amount of light people are exposed to. In fact, sometimes light therapy can be helpful for those individuals. But it does increase the chances and the the possibility of depression for some. I think during these times of the year, it's very important to be mindful of our just our our daily habits and and engage in, in good daily living skills. One of the things that we believe is that people who exercise regularly, uh, socialize, are involved with intellectual stimulation, they read, they have discussions, they do better. And I think it's also important to make an effort to get outside into the daylight, uh, even though uh, it's shorter, but people who regularly expose themselves to the outdoors generally do better. That mitigates some of the impact of that. Uh, for those individuals that are still struggling, medication is often uh, a modality, and that can be helpful as well. So is there still a, a thing called sundown syndrome? Um, I understand that a little bit more with individuals that have dementia and that type of thing. Sometimes individuals that have those types of uh, dementia will experience more symptoms, more confusion, more difficulties, more mood variation later in the day. I don't know that that's directly related to sunlight, though, in the shorter days. But that's an area I'm not as as experienced with. Do you see an influx of patients during daylight savings time as far as needing help with depression or needing help with sleeping? I mean, I I would say on the hospital side of things, yeah, we do tend to see this to be a busier time of year for us. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily correlate it with the time change or whether I would say it's more the uh, extreme climate change that we're about to get to uh, experience here or the holiday season, but certainly uh, we do see an uptick, um, especially actually, believe it or not, in, in adolescent patients this time of year, more so than adults. Chris, you make a great point when you said that you know, the, not only the time change, but, you know, you forget about the weather factor. And you had mentioned too, that the, the sunlight amount of sunlight someone sees, but me personally, I mean, when that sun goes down a lot sooner than it used to, and the warmth of the sun isn't there, it does make a big difference on my mood for the day. Most times. Absolutely. I mean, we, we just saw this area here has some of the harshest climate variation from, from, you know, summer to winter where you're, you're, you know, a heat index of 115 and then we all remember last winter, begrudgingly, at negative 50. So uh, it, we're, not, we're not designed to handle those types of swings with the climate to begin with. And it, we're kidding ourselves if we don't think it's beyond just a physical impact with that. Well, I, I think that is so true here in the Midwest. We 
our extremes are just so crazy. So I came up with a new season. It's called Falter. Because <laughs> we went, right? We got fall and we got winter right on top of each other. So it's just crazy. And I'm with Sherry. When that sun goes down, it's just, it's harder to get motivated to do things. I think I think Dan hit it right right on the nail. It's, it's, it's having those healthy rhythms and, and sticking with those. Because I think I think the more we establish a routine and, and we have healthy outcomes and healthy healthy coping skills to turn to, I think I think the better your affect is. And we say that too at um, with being working in wellness that you know you got to stick to your exercise program. You got to get out and and keep moving because we tend to just hunker down in the wintertime and and stay indoors where it's nice and warm. But we got to get out hibernating. <laughs> we, we call Chris guilty of that. <laughs> Well, and I also think, you know, uh, what we don't say enough is that when you move, you release those natural endorphins that make you feel better. Nobody's ever walked away from movement and and working their body and sweating a little saying, I hate myself because I moved more. And in fact, I think we get down on ourselves Mm -hmm. when we don't move enough. And when the weather gets bad and the light goes down sooner, we have to really push ourselves to keep those healthy habits, I think, especially, you know, going into... Um, the darker days and the the longer days as far as darkness goes. So the lights are always on at the wellness center. <laughs> <laughs> so with that being said, coming into the holidays then, what type of help do you you get called for as far as people going through holiday depression or even after the holidays? I've heard statistics out there that say holidays are fine for some people. It's after the holidays that people really have hard times with. Can you explain the difference why some have a really difficult time during the holidays and then some really do after the holidays? I think for a lot of people, it really is um, hinged on the uh, the support system and the maybe extended family that you have around you. I think um, on the hospital side of things, honestly, we get around the holiday season, we're historically not overly busy on the inpatient side. And really, you could you could look at that from a couple different you know rationales as to why that may be. It may, it may be that people are maybe more inclined to surround themselves with family or maybe family who has a loved one who's a little more on the edge, the black sheep of the family. They're more inclined to spend time with those folks this time of year. But boy, the holiday season ends and things kind of go back to, to where they were. And that's when we start to see people really slip into crisis or, or they're, they're very depressed. And that's more when we tend to see people in the hospital side. I don't know, Dan, if the outpatient side looks different than that. I guess from my perspective, life also and always has ups and downs. And and what I notice is that as human beings, we develop habits and patterns in terms of the way we deal with life events. Now, those good moments are pretty easy to cope with, but those stressful changes, uh, those are difficult. But we all develop kind of strategies and, and habits is how we do this. And some people are more adaptive, more skillful in dealing with these difficult moments and that type of thing. So what we tend to try to help our clients and patients with is to develop more skillful ways of dealing with things. In our field, we we can readily notice people who have patterns which are not as skillful and other people that have more skillful habits. Some of the things, for example, that I realize is that I don't know that it's the specific event that provokes the stress. Uh, It's just the stress itself. It may emanate from, um, you know, the holidays an example might be that uh, people anticipate getting together with their families and are more 
uh, wanting to have a good time and wanting to be generous. And so some people have financial stress getting gifts. Other people have difficulties dealing with the interpersonal relationships because they have an, an aunt or an uncle that they don't care to, to be with and those kind of things or uh, it, you name it. So whether or not it's you're dealing with it, your basement floods or that you have to relocate or plan a graduation celebration for your high school graduate, I, I think it potentially all could be very uh, kind of taxing. So those individuals who are able to be more planful, to step away from situations, uh, think about situations rationally and logically, uh, understand um, you know what is in it and is not in their control, they tend to do better. Uh, many people who experience a high level of stress, they have a pattern where they put these rigid demands on themselves or on the situation. They say, you know, we have to do well, or this is what we need to do. And they look at these life events that are actually preferences and desires more as requirements, as if they're fundamental things like oxygen and food and water. For example, we would prefer to all get along at a family gathering. I guess we don't have to. Mm -hmm. And people who <clears throat> are able to maintain a perspective and say, okay, this is unpleasant, but it's not terrible. And people who have an attitude that says, you know, life is going to be this way and I can get through it and I can handle it, generally they do better. Uh, conversely, those individuals who have these rigid demands and say, I can only be happy if this happens and I can't handle if it doesn't, they tend to experience much more stress, have an increase in depression, have much more life problems. But those people who can skillfully be able to look at life and uh, respond to these things in, in a more rational way, do better. So really what I think I'm, I'm hearing you say, Dan, is something so important that all of us need to work on is don't sweat the small stuff and lean into the small joys of life. When you're in the moment, mm -hmm. enjoy it. Well, and, I, I would agree with that. Now, I do think that you need to sweat the small stuff, but in proportion that it's a small stuff. Handling the little things in life also impact your life, but being able to do that skillfully and the other thing I notice that sometimes, um, you know, people struggle with their capacity to discern what is in their control and what's not in their control. And those elements that are in their control, it seems to be wise to be able to make a reasonable plan about what are you going to do if this happens or how am I going to handle this. The other thing is there's a lot of aspects in life that one cannot control, and we have to be somewhat philosophical and be able to incorporate unpleasant moments into our life. And those individuals that have an expectation that life is always going to be easy uh, struggle more. And they wind up with more stress, more depression, more anxiety, more problematic relationships, those types of things. So I think being able to step back from a situation and to consider things in a you know, proper perspective in a rational manner is very, very helpful. So if, if I'm, let's say, um, so if, I, if someone is depressed and they know they're clinically depressed and they've been diagnosed with that, that's mm -hmm. one thing. So they, they already know their signs and symptoms if, they're, if they've been diagnosed. Let's say this year I'm a new person coming into this. I'm feeling more depressed than I ever have. What are some of the signs and symptoms that you, we can give the listener? So in case they're going through those dark moments, uh, that they may say, hey, I need a little bit more help than usual here. What are some of those signs and symptoms? Well, and it's, it's really not uncommon that, mm -hmm. um, that folks actually do exhibit symptoms long before they're diagnosed. I mean, I think that's a good thing to call out. I mean, most people uh, statistically 
exhibit symptoms eight to ten years before they're even diagnosed with a mental illness. Wow. So wow. I mean that that in and of itself is is kind of surprising, but really you know you, if you start to find yourself in a situation where things that used to really bring you joy no longer do, you're you're more withdrawn. You're you're not you're not inclined to if you're a social person and you're you're drawing away from those social settings. If if you're overly fatigued, if if you're not sleeping, you're sleeping too much. It changes in appetite. There's there's any number of different things that you could point to. But I think we really need to have some self-awareness with that, and not all people have that. So I think there's also a good component there of having that person in your life, if at all possible, that can tell you, hey, you're leaking, this isn't you, Mm -hmm. and what are you going to do with that? I like that you're leaking because people notice, if you have friends or family, they will notice that if there's a change. And I think now with the fact that mental health is getting more attention and we're not so afraid to talk about it and tell people that, you know, are you sure you're okay? I mean, it's okay to ask somebody, are you okay, if you care about them? Well, and you'd always want to ask that question and feel safe and comfortable doing that than not ask the question and have a different outcome. So, yeah. Exactly, because there's no harm in a false alarm. Right. If someone's just having a bad mm-hmm. day, but if they're having several in a row, and it turns into weeks and, you know, what is going on with you? Absolutely. And to uh, contribute to what Chris is saying, I I do agree. Depression is more than just feeling sad. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are changes in our physical functioning, as Chris was saying. Sometimes we don't sleep as well. Um, We feel more fatigued. We don't have the energy. Uh, There's changes in mood where people tend to be more sad. Um, They're sadder. They have more difficulty controlling their emotions. They may be cheerful. Their thinking oftentimes is affected. They might have difficulty concentrating, making decisions. Uh, They're diminished in their motivation and oftentimes like to stay by themselves. And the other thing that is is very important to to recognize, too, is oftentimes people who are depressed uh, begin viewing the future in a negative way. They think the future is just going to be more of the suffering they've experienced in the past. And they also then become helpless and hopeless and become very passive. I think this is one of the reasons that individuals who experience depression don't actively seek out help because they think, well, what good is it going to do? And number two is that they don't have the energy and they become very passive. So it's those kind of dynamics that oftentimes loved ones can can play a role with, being empathetic, being supportive, encouraging them into areas that might be helpful for them and begin kind of challenging some of these assumptions they have. I mean, like, we can't predict for sure how many inches of snow we're going to get. We don't know who's going to win the World Series next year. We have hunches, uh, but um, oftentimes when people have become depressed, they are convinced that, you know, things are not going to improve or change. And when people get that way, then they oftentimes begin contemplating suicide because they feel that not living would be a better alternative than a continuation of their suffering. Do you see suicidal rates? I mean, is do suicidal rates go up in the winter versus the, the summer or after holidays? Do you know what those statistics are? You know, I don't know for sure. I have heard, I'm not sure if there's any subst- uh, substantiation to this, that oftentimes springtime, uh, those times actually tend to be a time where people are, that maybe the, uh, the rate of suicide increases. But I don't know that I would say that for an absolute fact. And, you know, one suicide's one too many. So really we're here to just, you know, get the word. You guys are fabulous at what you're telling us as far as experts in this field, just getting the word out to our listeners and 
And for those listeners, even if they don't struggle to pass the word on to their family when they see this thing, I loved what Miriam said is, you know, ask. It doesn't hurt to ask. It only hurts if you don't ask someone that you love, how are you doing? Really, how are you doing? Yeah. Well, I don't think you can call out enough just that what you just said, one suicide is one too many. And in, in Iowa, it's one every 18 hours. So, I mean, that's that's a mind-boggling statistic. And so we've got a long ways to go to get to zero. And we all play a role in that. So do people tend to contemplate that a, for a while before they actually go through with it? Or is it split decision? Because it seems like, you know, even here in our small community, there's young people that for some reason that didn't look like they, from the outside, didn't look like they had anything to worry about. And then take their lives or someone who's been diagnosed with a terminal illness deciding at the last minute? I mean, what do you guys see? Well, I could speak to that. Um, it's probably more common that people have experienced depression. Uh, they begin thinking and contemplating that. Actually, consideration of suicide at some point in one's life is actually a fairly common thing. Now, there's a smaller percentage of those individuals then that think about it in great detail and seriously contemplate it, maybe come up with a method and time and so forth. Then there's a smaller percentage of those individuals that actually will attempt or execute that. And then there's a smaller percentage of that group that actually will complete suicide. But the degree of depression, but even to a greater degree, the degree of hopelessness is the major factor. So oftentimes there might be a precipitating event that somebody has this predisposition to, for suicide, maybe it's depression and hopelessness, and then they have a, another additional traumatic life event, you know, whatever that might be. Maybe it's a relationship breakup, losing a job, uh, something like that. And then the other major concern is substance abuse, because so oftentimes people who struggle with depression will get involved with drugs and alcohol as a way to cope. It's a way to try to avoid some of these emotional and psychological experiences. But when we do that too, then we also become more uninhibited. And sometimes individuals will drink and then have less control and commit suicide. There's other individuals that will drink or use drugs to kind of develop the courage to go forward with their plan. And we, but, but either way, uh, you know, comorbid difficulties with substance abuse and depression is a, is a major concern and that type of thing. And sometimes it's just seeing individuals, you know, will be seen this way as just being irresponsible and they, they just drink, but they don't realize, others don't realize that there's a relationship between their emotional and mood state and their substance abuse. Dan, I think that you hit on a, a good word when you say hopelessness, mm -hmm. because we often use the word depression, but really it is a sense of hopelessness. Otherwise, they wouldn't take those extreme measures. Often we ask people when they come in, I know right now life has been difficult for you, you're struggling, but what do you see as a future? And we as, as providers and therapists feel more encouraged when people say, you know, I'm going through a tough time, but I know I'll get through this and things will be different. You know, I, I think I'll get through this. Whereas other individuals say, I don't really see the future as being any different. And individuals who look at things in a very, very global kind of a way, if you say, well, what do you think you could do to deal with They say, well, I should just deal with it. That's a very generalized response. But individuals who can tell you a more specific viable plan is that, you know, I need to reach out more to my friends or get back into my golf game or 
uh, spend more time with my kids or get back into school. Those types of things are often more indicative of individuals who, who come through these episodes better. Goes back to those healthy rhythms and healthy coping skills. Mm-hmm. You know, as a mom, I I sit and I, you know, as as my children grew up, I the one worry I always had was I hope they don't get depressed. And looking for the signs and symptoms for both my now college student and high school student, uh, making sure that, you know, to face value, they always seem happy, just like any other depressed person may be. Um, how, what, what are your thoughts on social media and the effects it has on depression in teens and young adults? Yeah, I think, I think it really just it exacerbates everything. There's no filter when it comes to social media and there's any number of different ways it can impact you. And some of those can be positive, but a lot of those aren't. My, my kids are four and five and I just, I, I shudder to think what social media is going to look like by the time they're your kid's age, Sherry. I mean, that it, it's really, it's, it's something that keeps you up at night to think about. And, you know, we, we see that as a precipitating factor for a lot of people that really, they have one event that, that maybe pre a social media stage, maybe a small group of people would have known about. And now all of their friends and all of their family and all these people who don't know them know about it. And boy, it just, it, it just exacerbates and, and fuels, uh, fuels the fire for the crisis for them. Yeah. I can't imagine, um, what's especially, well, young women and men just, trying to compare themselves to other people all the time would be difficult. I couldn't imagine having that when I was in high school. You know, and when you look at those pictures and you, you know, hearing my daughter grow up and through high school, high school is a tough age for a young woman, a man. And then you go to college and you realize, oh, life's bigger than high school. That's much easier then. But I do think for high school kids, they're stuck in that high school. They're, there's, it's who it is for the next four years. And so it's a smaller community versus going out to college. And so to often remind my kids, and I, I say this to my son all the time, you know, if you see that one thing, it's just a moment in their life. Everybody has issues in their life mm-hmm. at some point. And so I'm hopeful that all young kids and maybe those listeners out there that are young find coping skills that you know, they, they continue to remind themselves that it's social media. People are only going to show you what they want you to know about them. You know, it's just a, a glimpse of their life. It's not the whole picture. No, I would agree with that. As an adult, you can look at that and see a broader context than just that one moment. But for the high school kids, you know, that is their world and their environment. And that time, achieving acceptance, feeling good about themselves, uh, figuring out who they are as a human being is a difficult challenge. And so they interpret these moments as a reflection of their being. And that's what I think we oftentimes need to help them understand, that this is a moment in their life. It's, it's not indicative of their life in general or their character. Right. And everyone goes through their, their life stages of stress. You know, Sherry, right, and I was talking about her, you know, she's worried about her kids who are in high school and college. And my daughters are grown and married, and now I'm worrying about my grandkids. So we all have our different stages of life stresses and things. Um, and just like throughout the year, we get stressed when we have to work on budget for work, or we get stressed when we have to work on new programs. And so everyone has their different stages of and life events of stress, and we just have to recognize that. So as parents, recognize what our children are going through, and or our friends, um, what they might be going through. But I think it all comes back, and I'm going to take a page from Ellen, is we just have to be kind to everybody. We don't know when we see people in the hallway or in the grocery store what they might be going through, and they just might need a 
the door open for them or a look in the eye smile or just um, just anything that can be kind to people. We can just get to a spot where we treat every single person with dignity and respect. Exactly. We'll be in a lot better place. One of the things that we're trying to do more about is rather than focus on the kind of the pathological or dysfunctional behavior, the other thing that we're talking more about is what people do well to try to amplify their strengths. And um, there's a, a movement in psychology called positive psychology where we encourage people to be more fully aware of their assets, their skills, what they're grateful for. And individuals who uh, regularly and deliberately reflect on that seem to do much better as well. And that seems to kind of lift some of their spirits, lift their encouragement, their hopefulness about the future. Uh, Oftentimes what happens is when you're working with an individual, whatever you focus on and emphasize, you amplify. So individuals who come in and are talking about all their difficulties and how difficult that is, oftentimes what we inadvertently do is we just further fuel their depression. Um, You know, previously we thought that there is this notion of catharsis, that if you talk about something, it's as if you get this, this bad blood and this bad emotion out. But unfortunately what that really does is sometimes it further ingrains that. So being able to acknowledge what people are experiencing, but then amplify their strength to say, boy, you know, you've had a lot of difficulties when you were a child, but despite this, you were able to get through high school and you've been able to, uh, you know, make some progress in your current job and you're able to identify friends and you have these other kind of abilities. How were you able to do that? Having those kind of discussions where you're amplifying their coping ability, their strength, whatever, is oftentimes very beneficial. So there's been more of a movement in our field towards trying to help support and embellish these coping strengths as opposed to just simply kind of focusing on their difficulties and their stress and their problems. That's a good point that you just Mm -hmm. made there. Instead of just keep talking about the bad, just um, try to talk about the positive that's going on in their lives. Well... Being able to identify and crystallize and reflect to them and help them be more mindful of their strengths or abilities, whatever. I think it really highlights their their ability to be resilient. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And you ask, how are we able to be so resilient? Other people maybe would not have been able to get through this as well as you did. So despite that you had these two failed relationships or that your child quit school and took advantage of you, you know, despite this, you were able to still go forward and look at what you've accomplished. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dan and Chris, for coming in today. We have learned so much from you. It's in, it's invaluable the amount of information that you've given our listeners about depression and coping skills and stress management to, to be able to control things in their life to better help them with feeling days of sadness and hopelessness. And if you're a listener out there, we hope you know that we care about you. And if you ever need anything, please uh, look into Mercy One. We have so many different types of services out there to help you. And we're always here to help day or night, 24 hours. So please don't think you're alone ever. 